Hello and welcome. I am so glad you're here. I'm Beth, a creator-based coach with CMH Coaching for Life. I'm here today to help you and those you love create a life you feel grounded and at home in. Think of a life where you feel peace, love for those around you, and in a flow with just enough challenge to keep you happy and creating something wonderful. Sounds like magic, but it's not. You can create that life every single day. You can have a life full of love, excitement, hope, and creation. Our mission at CMH Coaching is to flood the earth with light through compassion, mindfulness, and hope. And I'm going to ask a favor of you. If you like what you see and hear today, think of someone you know that would enjoy and benefit from this message. Our mission is to flood the world with compassion, mindfulness, and hope. Share this with them. But for now, this is time just for you. So settle into whatever you're doing and enjoy this time with the girls where we create that one awesome, amazing, perfect life every one of us is seeking. We're talking about hope for the very last week. Mm. And Jacine has bravely offered to be our <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Yeah, you well, know go what? Ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's so cool to have the opportunity and kind of know that you're going to be the one sharing because you get a lot of time to reflect. And reflection is so powerful and so cathartic and so painful and so, and so, and so, but and it's so. so cleansing. It's the cathartic that I just love, you know, you dig in there and you feel like somebody just kind of twisted the knife, but then the knife comes out and you've got this open spot that feels so good. Uh, Assuming you're not gushing. Okay. Ooh, yeah. According <laughs> to who? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I love, I love the feeling of having things open again, where things were all clogged up and not moving, you know, and when you've been through it and we'll all share, you're not really the guinea pig. I just had to tease you a little bit about it. <laughs> no, but yeah, I am prepared. So I, like I was, I've been doing a lot of thinking about hope and you know, we started this month talking about our hopes as a child mm -hmm. and, you know, how that progressed. And I have, I have, um, grandchildren that are young and I've got some that are preteen and I have one that's a teen and it's interesting to have the opportunity to talk to each of them and listen to their hopes, you know? Oh, how and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of interview them. Well, they don't know it's an interview, but <laughs> yes. Granny's just being nosy. Yeah. So Jet, you're six. Sit down. I'm going to interview you. No, that's not how it <laughs> Well, I want to hear what you learned as you talked to them. Yeah. So man, as a six-year-old, I mean, the hopes are, oh, I hope I can have dessert after dinner tonight because I was a really good boy. Right. So <laughs> I hope I get to ride my skateboard today. 
Yeah, yeah. I th- th- those hopes, and you know, for a six year old, that's a true hope, right? Yeah. I I hope that it snows tomorrow, so I don't have to go to school again. You know. <laughs> Yes, that was my nine-year-old's hope. You know, I, yeah, it'd be great <laughs> if I didn't have to go to school. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my eleven-year-old, she is, um, she's an old soul. You know, her hopes are very outward-driven. So my hope is that my dad gets this client that he's been hoping for for a long time. Yeah. So energy. Yeah. Or or my hope is that my mom is going to do really good on her test that I know she's been studying for. So when you it's, that was, that was a really cool, you know, she's 11. And so it was neat to listen to her hopes. And then um, the hope with my t- teenage <laughs> granddaughter is that um, she gets to hang out with her friends this weekend and that, you know, this guy is gonna ask her to dance at the church dance, you know? Yeah, and I love that hope. Right? Those hopes. Don't you guys remember like those kinds of hopes? Yeah. Yeah. And and it is just interesting and refreshing to go back to those hopes and remember them. And yeah, and and how it kind of prepares us for the hopes at, that we have as an adult. I think we have to have those hopes as a child where, you know, some of them are met, some of them aren't met. You know, sometimes we're disappointed because our hopes aren't met. And that happens when we're a kid and a teenager. And, you know, I remember waiting by the phone, hoping that the, this cute guy was going to call, you know, and yeah. uh, or hoping that one of my dumb brothers wouldn't answer the phone and totally <laughs> ruin it for me. I'd just be stupid. <laughs> yep. Scare him off. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you have all those hopes. And then, um, so I got, I was married at a really young age. I got married at 18 and, um, yeah. Yeah. And all right. Yeah. So I had, I, I had pen paled this, this really handsome guy that I saw his picture in the church lobby while he was on his mission. And I got his address and started writing him. Yeah. So pen pal, then we got married early when he got home, he was four years older than I was. And, um, you know, I didn't want to have kids for about five years. So I was on the pill and wow, about, I don't know, nine months into it. Yeah, it's I start not feeling well. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, yeah, big surprise. Um, and I started off really with a bad attitude about it. And um, as I got into it, and you can hear the heartbeat, and it starts, and the little flutter starts. You just, uh, it starts to become real, yeah. and. Um, you know, that hope of, you know, I wonder if it's a boy or I wonder if it's, I hope it's a girl because I have all these brothers, (laughs) 
my little sister, my little sister, gosh, she was probably five when I was pregnant with Brandon. And, um, you know, just the hopes that you have, uh, as you have this, this child in your womb, you know, what, yeah, what do you, well, you kind of, you kind of, with the hopes, you kind of make a prediction. You have all of these predictions that you're making that you're kind yeah. of putting out in your mind for that child, right? Yeah. All the you sure. think they'll do. Yeah. Builds that hope. Yeah. yeah. And what your life's going to be like as a family. And, mm. you know, I had this perception, you know, <laughs> happily <laughs> ever after, you know, once I get married, I live happily ever after. Once I have a child, I'll live happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so fast forward into the pregnancy, I start having contractions early on and, you know, I don't know that's what they are. I'm almost 20. I'm 19 and a half right. and You've never been pregnant before. Oh, no, no, I don't know that. I've watched my mom be pregnant. And so anyway, I'm, I'm working and I'm at work one day and my boss is watching me and he's like, um, I think you need to go <laughs> or go see the doctor Your boss. Wow. I'm yeah, I'm fine. I, yeah. And he said, I'm working for a dentist and I was doing orthodontia at the time. And he's watching me as I'm like working on these kids. <laughs> you are not having this baby. And it, and it's a month early, right? It's right. like 30 days. But you had it in your head. This can't be anything because no. people come for another month. No. So I go to my, and my husband is out of town on business in Seattle. So about four hours away from where we lived mm -hmm. and I go to, so I went home, rested for a bit and my mom was having a, I don't re even remember the name of the toys, but it doesn't matter, but she was doing oh, this discovery toys, toy. discovery toy. She was discovery doing toys. Discovery. My sister sold those. I got those. Right. Oh, great toys. Loved them. Yeah. So I go that night to this discovery toy party. I think it's like seven o'clock and <laughs> I'm at the toy party with a bunch of women. And interestingly enough, my dad is watching me and he's like timing me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he's the one that came up to me and said, I think you're going to be having a baby tonight. Your contractions are this far apart. And it was interesting that it was my dad, but I think we, as women, were all so busy and doing what party, we were yeah. doing. And his focus was not on the toys. It was on his, his baby girl, right? right, right. <laughs> this is my daughter. Yeah. So um, he gets off, tries to get, it's before cell phones, right? So we're trying to get a hold of, my husband to tell him to meet us at the hospital. We go to the hospital and in my mind, I'm still in denial. Ah, no, it's fine. It's just, it's false labor. Cause I learned about that in the class. Right. <laughs> right. It's a fact. I learned and, it in class. Yeah. No, I'm these are, these are Braxton Hicks. This is not labor. You know, right. If it were labor, I would be screaming. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So I'm literally in the hospital. My dad's there. My mom's there. And then my boss shows up. Oh, wow. 
he's like, well, you know, he's like, well, you're just like a second daughter. I had to just check in on you. And I'm like, Jack, leave. I don't need you here. Right. (laughs) I'm not having a baby, right? I'm not having a baby. They're going to send me home. And, um, I'm seeing an interesting thing to figure into hope with all of this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had my hope plan another way. Uh, yeah, was not a part of that. I did not even have my bag ready. You know, right. I was supposed to have a bag. I was supposed to have the baby's bed ready. We were in the middle of getting ready to move. Uh, yeah, no, no, right. it's not no we're not happened. doing this. Yeah, not. my hopes can somewhere entirely different. <laughs> but but yeah, inside you're kind of hopeful, right? Like, oh, is this really going to happen? And Somehow, I don't even know how Marty found out how, who got a hold of him. I don't, I was busy. (laughs) I was a little busy at the time Uh that he ended up getting to the hospital and, um, and my doctor came in and checked me and he's like, well, you know, let's, let's look at stopping labor. It's a little bit early for you to be having this baby. And I'm a little concerned because it is so early and he's, you know, according to my calculations, he's pretty small or the baby is small. Mm-hmm. So, and, and those became serious words, the levity left yeah, and the seriousness of what was about to happen um, started seeping in. And I remember um, him going away and I don't know how long it was. Um, but my dad, since Jack was there said, let's give you a blessing. I want to bless you. And so my dad gave me a blessing, which is something that happens in our church. And, um, it gave peace to my heart that everything was going to be fine and, and just kind of calmed my nerves and, and still I'm going, it's too early. We're not going to have this baby. Yeah, This isn't going to happen. My water hasn't broke. I mean, none of that. Right. And um, my doctor comes in and he said, we're going to proceed with this birth. You're going to, oh, wow. you're going to have this baby tonight. And oh, goodness. Like, okay, here we go. And just not, not very long after he said that my water broke and we were in labor. Yeah. So you know, after having Brandon, I get to hold him and they take him away to do the tests and make sure things are okay. And doctors working on me and, um, they don't bring him back and they don't bring him back. And my husband's not in the room with me and I'm, the doctor is done with me. The nurses are done with me and I'm in my room. baby. Yeah. No baby. Where's my baby? What's going on? And you have that little, that instinct that says there's, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there was, so shortly after Brandon was born, they transported him about almost 45 minutes away to the children's hospital up at OHSU. And um, his lungs weren't developed. He was having problems breathing. His bilirubin count was down. And um, and he was he wasn't uh, he was barely over five pounds. Yeah. When he was born. And so um, 
I remember. There's your struggle to feel hopeful, isn't it? It was very, that was my struggle. And I felt guilt. Number one, I felt guilt. I'm being punished because um, I didn't want him at first. Yeah. Because I being, had those thoughts. Am I being cursed because I were punished because I had those thoughts? Because I had those thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so as you go through that process, going up to the prenatal um, NICU, and you have to gown up and have a mask and you can't, he can't even have a toy and I can't breastfeed him and right. I can't hold him it's just you know that that's where the hope comes in the hope and the prayer and I can't do anything without prayer and hoping that things are going to be okay right and so he comes home he's strong I love it and uh again I'm on the pill and I get pregnant again (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't work for you right (laughs) number two no no, clearly the Lord had other intentions because I was that 1%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, this, this pregnancy was not an easy pregnancy and the birth was, was very similar, except he was um, six weeks premature. Mm-hmm. And when we took Tyler to the, when they air flighted Tyler to the hospital, um, his heart, he had um, fluid on his lungs and his heart wasn't working properly. And he was four pounds, three ounces. Oh, God. And um, I knew this. So I'd been through this before, right? And I'm like, okay, I still have hope. Right. You know, you've, you've had seen it work in the past and yes. so you've had that to draw on. Yes. And so going up there, it was different though when I got to the NICU there were more serious issues happening and going in and seeing your newborn baby. (coughs) um, Yep. They put bands around his, he was a strong little little guy. He still is a strong guy. He's not a little guy anymore. He's a strong guy, but they had to put bands around his um, hands and, and diaper pin them to the, the bed because he kept trying to pull out the tubes yes yep Yep. oh he had tubes coming out of his chest out of his head they had shaved his head and oh so much to see so hard for your mama heart it was very traumatic I remember at one point going up to see him because there wasn't a Ronald McDonald house at the time Uh and so it was a trip there and a trip home and then I'm worrying about my 14 month old son that I have to farm out to somebody. Right. Because I have a baby in the hospital. Right. And, you know, there were times when I did lose hope. And there was one time I remember thinking, I'm just, I was sitting at home and I was trying to formulate a plan on how I could kidnap my son, you know, going to rescue him. Yes. He'd be so better off if he were home with me. And then you realize, yeah, not so much. Not so, yeah, but that's just that incredible desire to take care of your child, you know. It is, it is. So, how did you keep your hope going during that time? Because clearly, he had a rough start. How did you hold on to the hope to bring him home? 
I think a lot of that comes from that personal belief that God is there, that Mm -hmm. there is a God and that he hears my prayers and answers my prayers. Mm -hmm. And I could hope that Tyler was going to be okay and that he'd come home and grow. And um, I remember writing in my journal and asking God to just please um, let him be okay. And let, let me have the opportunity to raise him here on earth and let me have the opportunity to be a good mom and, and prove that I could be a good mom, you know, even though again, I had wanted a girl. I, I I even had a girl name, didn't have a boy name picked out. And we did an ultrasound because I was having so many contractions pre uh-huh. pre birth. And it was about, I don't know, maybe about two or three weeks before Tyler was born that I found out he was a boy. And I just cried and cried and cried. And so again, right, here's the guilt. Yep. you were not happy that he was a, that he's a boy and you're being punished right so all of storyteller oh man all of those things just like rush in and and you learn to have hope through adversity you learn to have hope even though I mean those were really hard struggles but the hardest struggle was yet to come only two years after Tyler's birth. And that hardest struggle had to do with my marriage. I had only been married for four years and my marriage was falling apart. It was, um, man, I was 23 years old, you know, like 22, not even 23 years old. I'm 22 years old and I've got two babies and my marriage is falling apart and I'm doing anything and everything to hang on to it. Although I did realize that there were abusive tendencies, not tendencies, I'll call it, there was abuse going on, right? A lot of verbal and mental abuse happening and, and some shades of physical abuse at that time. And I, um, I remember, you know, just praying and asking that God could intervene and that he could, you know, somehow repair this, but it takes two people to make that happen. And so we sent, um, my husband had some really good friends in Kansas City that he had helped bring um, to Jesus Christ. And so just this wonderful family. And we thought, well, if we can, if I could just have him go and hang out with Evie and Rick, you know, this would just be, this is exactly what he needs so that he can get his head on straight so that he can understand that he's got a family that needs him, that loves him. And, um, so somehow we came up with the money. Our finances were falling apart. I mean, you have two Creamy babies and the bills the medical, were incredible. Medical bills were incredible. Everything was on credit. Everything, it was just all our glass house, our card house was crashing down. Yeah. Right? The foundation was not, not so great. And um, so we sent I he went to Kansas and um 
was going great when he was with Evie and Rick, but he reconnected with a girl that he had um, known while he was there and left Evie and Rick's house and went to her house to stay with her. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, I had been through, there's so, there's so much to the story, but um he had invited a homeless family to be in our home earlier that year that they were very, the father was very dangerous and um, was a sex offender. And so I had acquired a gun while Marty was gone just to protect my kids. I just said, I don't, yeah, I don't know what this this guy, I know what this guy is capable of, and I don't want any hope. And so I had a gun in my possession, which was really not normal in my house at that time. And um, Marty calls me from this girl's house and tells me, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to be married to you anymore. Oh, and proceeds to tell me everything that's wrong with me and that I'm a failure and that you know, everything it, it lies on me. And um, I had had a breakdown before where my three-year-old son found me rocking in the kitchen, just in fetal position, just sobbing from the verbal abuse. And, um, and so I had been worked on for quite a while, not feeling, I mean, feeling less than and feeling not even less than feeling like nothing, like nothing. And this was a final blow. This is somebody that I had wanted to spend my whole life with, my eternity with, that I had two children with, that um, all of your hopes and dreams on this everything. one thing. Yeah, you're everything. Everything. Yeah. And I didn't know. This was the darkest, probably the darkest moment of my whole life. And I didn't, I didn't want to live. I lost my will to live. Yeah. And I knew I had a gun. Oh, I knew I had a gun and I knew that I, I shot when I was younger, you know, lived on a farm. You shoot stuff when you're on a farm. Yeah. I know how to do it. Like this world would be so much better without me. My kids would be so much better without me. And that was a time that, that I think that I lost all hope, all hope. And I don't know where my children were at that. I, I, I have no recollection of where they were at that time. Um, but I do remember that those memories of my kids both fighting for their lives. Yeah. Both fighting for their lives to stay on this earth. And, and the hope that I had that they would live. And those things were preparatory because I know that God knew I was going to go through this. Yep. And he knew that I needed to remember those times of hope and I needed to find something to hang on to and 
and have the courage to call a friend. And so I called my boss, actually, <laughs> he and his wife. Uh-huh. Said this is because I didn't want to call my parents. I mean, I didn't want to call uh-huh. my brothers. I didn't want to. Yeah. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't want that. But I called Jack and Janet and they came and um, helped me through a lot. But there are times when things feel dark and you feel like there's no reason why, why. And the world would be better off without me. And that sucks. And it's such a freaking lie. Huge lie. Huge lie. So looking back at your 23-year-old self that went through all of those things now, Mm -hmm. from the viewpoint of now, what would you say to her? (laughs) Man, I would thank her. I would just thank her for her courage, for her ability to connect the dots and her openness to listen and use the skills that she already had for hope, right? The Mm -hmm. skills that I developed as a kid Mm -hmm. to just continue hope, even when things didn't go my way, that it was going to be okay. Yeah. And just thank her. That's some incredible strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indomitable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Because mm-hmm. that was totally different from what you expected it to be. And it was okay. totally different experience from what you were led to believe when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as, as all of that shifted for you, how did you reconcile continuing to have hope even though it was so different from everything you had been taught to believe or everything you expected. How did you move from there to here? Uh, again, I, I, I got, I, I got, I got, I have really good prayer knees. So. <laughs> got calluses there, do you? I got calluses. You have a creator me. that knows you well and will teach you. Absolutely. So he's the one that never lets me down, even though sometimes is his, um, the thoughts that come to my mind that I know are from him, Mm -hmm. um, don't make a lot of sense, but it's, I can go back to those times when I did listen to him Mm -hmm. and know that I can trust him always, always, even when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I can trust him because I, I built up those hope muscles, right? Yeah. I built those up. Yeah. And we, we studied earlier in the month and I I would be willing to bet that you used these and you didn't even know that you were using them, but we talked about how hope was a cognitive process and that after you bottomed out in those moments that Jack needed to come with his wife and, you know, support for a while, you needed that. Um, support from the people around you, that you probably implemented some of those cognitive choices that you didn't even realize you were doing. Mm -hmm. 
are you in a place you can kind of share some of those cognitive choices that we make for hope? And we can kind of examine and see maybe JC, maybe some of it would ring true to you. Well, I, I think just that making the choice to reach out to your, your boss. Yes. To reach out for support. is an action of hope because mm-hmm. somewhere within you, you knew that that's where help was at. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's like, I, you know, I think that led part of like that, that thought process, you know, that, that hope reaching out because there would, there would be a rescue or there would be a help there. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about this and, and like kind of just comparing some of my own things in my own life, I just kind of wonder sometimes just, is there something just innate in us that just keeps us moving? Mm. You know, it's just like, I wonder if, is there something also just within us that just says, I'm just really not ready to completely give up yet. Right. Yeah, is that it's like there's, there's the inner pilot light. There's that uh-huh. little light that's still in there. That's still going, even yeah. though everything is dark, the pilot light is still there. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I was just really thinking about your experience. And I think that was probably your first steps, you know, that, that led you into, and then I don't, I don't know what it looked like after. And I would be really curious to see if you just kind of, just kind of, I don't know, existed for a while and then started to have some, some, some thoughts of, of forward motion of like planning. Okay. Well, I've got these two kids that rely on me now, mm-hmm. you know, hoping for a better life for them. I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what your thought process would be interesting to understand. I mean, I know you journal, so it'd be interesting yeah. to go back and read and see if you can't pick out your hope thoughts or your hope, um, the things that led you on to move forward. I think that I think journaling that I think I can tell you 100% that journaling was huge for me because I didn't want to tell my family. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want them to know because again I had hope that things would work out. That right? they would resolve, yeah. That they that they would be fine. But in that journaling there were a lot of truth statements. So uh. I had I the, over and over again, Marty said this to me. He said that I can't take care of my children, but the truth is, which oh, is really interesting. So very, very innate in, in, or a gift that I was given in my character to be able to say, no, that's, that's a lie. That's not true. Well, there's so much innate power in truth. And for you to write it down, I mean, not just to articulate it, but write it down. I'll bet you even said it out loud. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And you created the hope to move forward with that power, that power of truth. Wow. That's cool. I kind of, I kind of like in my, my head, looking at how, when there's a disintegration of one big hope and dream, Mm -hmm. kind of in no man's land, we don't know what to expect. It's desolate. We think everything is over. It's and all then, lost. And right. then, then you start yeah. to try and figure out where do I go from here? If yeah. you don't give up hope, I mean, if you don't give up, I mean, if you give up, then it's just, that's done. But so I think your whole journaling experience, I think was just hope and action. You were trying to figure it out and you were speaking, like she said, truth to those lies. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, hope is also action leads us to action. It is baby steps, right? Hope is baby steps. And I'll bet you had a bunch of baby steps you did. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, there were a lot of face down in the arena. Moments. <laughs> oh yeah. That's where's that. that was that's right. not good. I get it. You know, we have to have those, you know? Yeah. 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 And I'll bet there yeah. was a lot of failing upward. Yes. Right. Yes. Failing forward. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was, there was, and there was a lot of, a lot of times when, um, you know, my why was pretty big. Yeah. My why was pretty good, big. I, and I know I, I, I go back sometimes and I wonder, would I have had the courage? Would I have stayed in that type of relationship longer? Had I not had my two boys, you know, they were my why to, it wasn't about me. It was about, they are not going to grow up and grow up like this. They are not going to watch their mother be a victim. They're not going to, I knew this, I had studied the statistics. Mm -hmm. I knew that stuff. So that was, they're going to have a better life. And they have. (laughs) Yeah. From what I know, they grow to be amazing men. Yeah. Right there, there's hope for a better life for them. I'm like, you just, yeah, you just, yeah. I'm yeah. just, I'm so amazed at you, JC. And I'm just sitting here just in awe. So great. Right. So great. Well, can I speak to that moment, that bottoming out moment of yeah. just a little bit? Um, I'm reading this book, The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. And if I had the author, I'd tell you, but I'll post it. Um, it's just wonderful. But she talks about surrender, the ultimate loss of control. But she also talks about surrender as the greatest form of power. And it made me wonder when I was listening to you, if when you were at that moment of complete bottomed out, that surrender moment, if that wasn't your most powerful moment also, as you reached out to Jack and made that decision to stay. She says, uh, the greatest form of power, surrendering is not conceding to defeat. Surrendering is conceding to potentialities beyond your imagining. Mm. The only way to go is up. To surrender is to affirm that you are not alone. When you surrender, you acknowledge that there is a force other than you at work. And you saw that over and over and over again, right? Absolutely. And because that force exists and you also exist, connecting to that force is possible. To surrender is to invite that connection forward. Mm. Yeah. And that's hope, right? When we invite that connection forward, we have created hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you so much for You're your willingness to share. You know, I have, I, there are a couple songs that come to my mind and I remember while I was going through this part, because I'm such a music person, I just actually feel like I need to share this with those out there that connect with music. Um, there were two songs that really helped me. Um, there's one song by Michael McLean called You're Not Alone. Oh, I love that and, one. That song, I played that over and over and over again. So it became that voice in my head when I had other voices that were coming at me that were, that were not true because that was true. And then I had been in a musical when I was a kid, um, just as an extra, um, and the musical was Carousel. And the song was when you walk through a storm and one, oh my gosh, just the words to that. When you walk through the storm, Don't be afraid of the dark. Yeah. yes, 
Yes. And those two songs rang true. And I think that when we put, keep pouring the good stuff in, that those things are what help us find the courage and get through and have hope. And because we have that innate ability, the creator inside us has that innate ability to recognize truth and light and that's what keeps us going, right? Amen. That's the stuff that keeps us going. Yeah, that light moving forward. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. What's coming forward? What more light we have coming? Tomorrow we have coaching clear. Always brings lots of light into the week. And so we'd love to invite people to that. And then Wednesday... 1.30 Central, we have book club. How's, how's that going? How's, are you seeing some light generated? What's going on with that? Yeah, we had, we started a discussion about um, mutant messages down under and I love. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Jen, I hope you can join us this week. I will be able to. Oh, good. Because it's so funny. I love our book club because we have such a diverse, um, diverse group and uh -huh. we have some people that think very linear linear and uh -huh. um our person that thinks very linear was like well I'm just having a really hard time getting my head wrapped around this because I don't know how could this be true and how, if it's what you know so anyway it was a really fun oh, how fun yeah so well, that's the color of the conversation that makes it so fun so so great yeah it does so we're gonna finish up that book it was a short book so um we're we'll be done with it this week and um then our next book that we're moving on to I'm so excited it's Brene Brown Atlas of the Heart oh I love that book <laughs> yes so yes, really, that is really a beautiful book Yes, I have I'm to say that book though, you have to get the original hardback because it is an the art. It is beautiful. Yeah, it the art in it is amazing. It's a, another part of the experience because she actually does talk about some of the art in it to help you understand emotion. Well, and the even the feel of the pages in that book yes. is wonderful. Some of yeah, them are like paper and the ink and the choice, everything about the book is fantastic. It's sitting out on my coffee table because it's yep, so beautiful. It's my husband bought it for book. me for Christmas. It's it is an art. It is a piece of, it of art. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we're doing it. Yay. Well, and what a perfect, perfect way to start our April study because this this finishes our hope study for March. Mm -hmm. But April in embracing the creator-based way and along that theme, it supports us when we embrace the creator-based way in building our one awesome, amazing, perfect life. And so we're going to talk about all the way through April, we're going to talk about perfect, not in the sense of flawless, however, <laughs> we're going to talk about your one amazing, perfect life. And we're going to talk a little bit about something called maladaptive perfection. There are no bad perfectionists. Let me just pop your bubble now. No bad perfectionists. Perfectionism is not bad. Pop it, pop it, pop it. Um, maladaptive perfectionism, or there's adaptive perfectionism. Just like anything in the world, there's maladaptive and there's adaptive, right? You don't want to take it to an extreme where it's going to be maladaptive, but when it's adaptive, that harnesses the passion that's inside of you to create and to do and to make that life. And so we're going to talk about 
perfectionists, maybe, and you might identify by the end of the month if you are a classic perfectionist or a messy perfectionist or a Parisian perfectionist or a procrastinator perfectionist or an intense (laughs) perfectionist. Or maybe since we all have parts, we have little parts of all of those inside of me. Um, I I realized when I was reading, yeah, I have a very loud, intense perfectionist. And it's a very strong inner critic part for me. But Mm. we're going to spend the whole month talking about perfect in all of its beautiful shapes, sizes, and forms. So I'm really excited and how that pertains to the creator-based way. And then we have also to kick off the month, our emotions and essential oils class. And Jen, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yes. Um, it's going to be a workshop of discovery of, I'm going to kind of introduce essential oils and how they can help us with our emotions, whether we want to create something or we want to shift a mood or a feeling, you know, something we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of like the history of how the essential oils, um, how they have a, a personality, each of them kind of have this personality. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be really we'll, we'll have fun. If you have any oils, bring them, but if you don't have to have oils to attend the workshop. No, just come enjoy the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll be on zoom 9am on the 8th of April. Not the first, even though the first is the first Saturday, it's too early in the month. We're doing it on the 8th. <laughs> There's five Saturdays in the month. You know, we can, we can take the second one. So we are all looking forward to that. It's going to be lovely. Lots and lots of things to hope for. Lots and mm-hmm. lots of good things coming. And we are all going to have a perfect spring. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. I can't wait till it starts. It'd be great. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's true. Are you still buried in my house today? It has been snowing off and on for the past three days. Oh, sweetie. Spring is coming. It's coming. Get your hope going. Get your hope going. Look, but my pansies, they're out. Yeah, that they don't snow. They're okay. They are. Just they're remember all the past winters that led into spring. Your hope right. is coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. All right. So till next time. We'll see everybody next Monday, three o'clock, for a good podcast recording and a creative music. See you soon. Bye. I can choose to be happy, choose to be free, moment by moment. It's all up to me, cause what I think about, I bring about. That's the way it is, and there is no doubt. Day by day, I pave the way with every little thought I think. Thanks for joining us today in a creator-based life. I hope you felt that compassion, mindfulness, and hope you came seeking today. You can find more of it at cmhcoaching.com or on linktree slash cmhcoaching. Of course, any social media outlet, we're there too. Because you felt the benefit and light in this message, please invite those you care deeply about to join us. Help us to create a ripple effect across the globe of compassion, mindfulness, and hope. Then we can create a creator-based life together. Have a great week, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. Choose to be free, moment by moment. It's all up to me, cause what I think about, I bring about. That's the way it is, and there is no doubt. Day by day, I pave the way.
day I paved the way with every little thought of thing 